everybody, welcome back to Flightcast. This is a podcast inspired by the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight with a lot of real-world aviation mixed in. Joining me in the Flightcast virtual recording booth, as always, is the beautiful Mr. Skyhawk Heavy, Mark Denton. Hey, Mark. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Well, I just wanted to mention before we get going here today, a few episodes ago, we mentioned that I got to have a chat with a guy named Sigurd Henriksen that was at my local field here in Perry Sound, Ontario, and uh, where a T-28 Trojan lived, and we've mentioned this this airplane a couple times, I don't get to see a whole lot of uh, warbird action around here, so I've been pretty excited about it. Um, and I just put a little feature video up on YouTube that highlights it, uh, a little while ago. So, um, yeah. Which is shocking because, you know, the T-28 has been there for however long and you don't even know it. I know. Until. Until it's leaving. Until it's leaving. Yeah. They sell it and it, uh, it, it flies to, uh. Where were they flying to? Norway? Uh, they're flying to Oslo, Norway. And actually, yeah. uh, in my video description, I had said that he had arrived. Uh, at the time we're recording this, he has not arrived yet. He's um, making his way today, I think, uh, and this is the beginning of June right now, uh, to the Faroe Islands, uh, which is right. halfway between, I guess, uh, Iceland and or Greenland and uh, the UK. And then he's making his way over to Norway from there. So those are the two biggest hops. Um, but apparently it's going well. He was socked in uh, for about a week in Iceland uh, due to some cold weather. But uh, I, I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, number yeah. one, that long of a flight um, in, in a T-28 at 6,000 feet. I know. I know. <laughs> One engine, I, you know, yeah. Uh, so. But hey, it uh, seems to be going well, and I've I've emailed with him uh, actually just yesterday and chatted back and forth, and he's having a blast. He said it's performing perfectly, so that's awesome. uh, great, and that's a great testament to the previous owner, Dietmar Jogner, who was the um, he did some restoration on the engine, so the aircraft was pretty much done when he bought it, and then he did some engine work. So, cheers I need to, to get him. the Skyhawk and fly it over, man. I I, I need to go ahead and make me a. Hey, uh, I need to make a flight across the pond myself. Well, why, some, don't you, uh, uh, why don't we play it safe for now and just fly up here and see me first? Then you're not yeah. transatlantic. Yeah, I, I still need to get those uh, aerial refueling probes That's uh, right. mounted. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, anyway, if anyone wants to see that video, it's a, almost 12 minutes long. Uh, some really cool shots of the uh, T-28. You can go to youtube.com slash flightcast audio. And... Uh, yeah. Mark, speaking of warbirds, I think we should talk exactly. to our guest that's waiting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tom Richard, he's a warbird pilot, air racer. He's an aircraft mechanic, truly anything aviation, and is very passionate about this industry, just about aviation in general. So uh, let's go ahead and bring him in. Tom, thanks for joining us today, man. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us today, Tom. I I have to confess, uh, this is um, uh, you're a guest that Mark lined up, and uh, so thanks, Mark, for doing that. And um, yep. we've we've been slowly, I would say, taking this podcast um, from being uh, totally about Infinite Flight, the mobile flight sim, and um, you know, to be honest, there's 
really so much you can say about one flight simulator. And while we have lots of exciting content coming up about Infinite Flight, um, Mark and I have just been slowly kind of introducing uh, a lot of real world aviation stuff. So Tom, it's really cool to have you. And uh, you are joining us from Kissimmee, Florida, correct? Yeah, that's where I'm based. And uh, yeah, though, I mean, there are a lot of fascinating facets of aviation you can cover. So uh, Warbirds oh, is uh, sure. obviously one small, interesting part of it. Yeah. So uh, just to get started on, on the podcast, we love to ask people what got you into aviation. So for you, where did this all start? Uh, well, it's kind of a funny story. I uh, I read an article or probably more 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 than likely looked at the pictures when I was seven years old about the 1979 Reno Air Races. And uh, there was a series of pictures of the Red Baron and Steve Hinton, what happened to him that year. And, and uh, I was completely blown away by that and, uh, and couldn't imagine that something like that even existed. And I got really excited about it. I decided, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Wow. So you knew you'd be <laughs> racing airplanes from the age of seven. Yeah, that's correct. It's wow. funny because when I think of flying airplanes, and I, I don't have my PPL yet, it's on my bucket list, but I don't I don't think, you know, not only am I going to fly them, I'm going to race them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, so, uh, I, I emigrated to the U.S. specifically for the reason of uh, wanting to fly Warbirds and um, uh, win Reno. That was, that was my goal. So when I was 17, I came over here with 2,500 bucks in my pocket and uh, a Target. No kidding. Where did you come from? Sweden. Okay. We've got a Flycast Cafe subscriber who will enjoy hearing that you came from Sweden. Uh, Seb, <laughs> shout, shout out to Seb, Sebastian. Who um, was the uh, other right. one that we had on uh, that was from Sweden? We had a guest from Sweden? Yeah. Wow. Way to pay attention. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have to remember it. Uh, but, you know, Tom, it's crazy that uh, you said that you, you saw the article um, mm-hmm. uh, about Reno. And uh, it was the was it that year uh, that uh, Steve had that incident? Yes, yes, it was, was it? and uh, uh, it was uh, obviously a little too exciting. But uh, yeah. that's what that's what triggered my interest. And Jay, just so you know, I'm sure you're not aware of what we're talking about. Steve Hinton, uh, I believe it was a P51, correct? Yeah, it was the yeah. Red Baron. It was a Griffin-powered P51. Yeah, and incidentally, that's. That's what I've been flying the last few years as well. So it's full circle. Yep. Um, yeah, Steve Hinton was flying uh, the Red Baron, which, P50, which uh, was a P-51. And um, he uh, had an engine failure, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, and was trying to dead stick it back uh, to the runway and uh, was well short of the runway. Um, and... Uh, I've seen the video and it was very, very, of course, dramatic and you, you just lose your breath in that incident. And yeah. Steve is still flying today. He actually flies the uh, chase plane, um, uh, for the arena races, if I'm not mistaken, does he still do that? He still does. He flies a T-33 for that purpose. I've yep. been up with him a couple of times in it, which is fascinating. Yeah, that, that incident was uh, spectacular. He he did not land off-field. He crashed in a rock pile and was thrown clear of the records and yep. managed to – he didn't walk away, but he, he got out of it and recovered, which was just amazing. Yep. Wow. Um, yeah, and still very active uh, with flying today. And like Tom said, the flying the T-33 and – um, 
uh, multiple other aircraft. So, um, I, I remember seeing that and that was, uh, that was close to the same year, I think, of breaking a speed record as well. Yeah, they had just done that as well. Yeah. Mm. So, so. Uh, how do you – so you come over, you have 2500 bucks in your pocket, you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. And yep. so so how do you how does one make the start into air racing? I mean, were you a pilot yet <laughs> at 17? Uh, I was a glider pilot. That was about the only thing I could afford back home. And uh, when I came over here, I – started pursuing tailwheels and aerobatics and uh, became an aircraft mechanic all of those things at the same time and when i was going to college for uh, to become an aircraft mechanic <clears throat> mechanic i uh, was obviously on student loans at the time and uh, i tended to uh, spend most of that money on flying <laughs> instead of r- room and board so um i ended up homeless <laughs> i actually lived in the back of a hangar on top of a bathroom that is awesome yeah and uh, so I could pursue flying instead of, you know, I, I figured a roof over my head wasn't that important. So, um, well, I, I think, I needed a, you know, there are there are a, a number of very wealthy pilots who own a hangar and end up sleeping in it anyway, in spite of having a very nice right. house. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. So. But I'm sure the accommodations so, in their hangars, Jason, are, are, <laughs> yeah, are a lot a more nicer. accommodating than what Tom had to do. Yeah. With. Yeah. Chances are. So that was a bit of an adventure. But uh, I. Uh, I got various uh, mechanicing and and uh, flying jobs and started teaching and uh, eventually when I was 23 I got my first barnstorming job flying T6s around the country. So explain what that means barnstorming. Uh, barnstorming is when you roll into town with uh, an airplane or a few airplanes and uh, offer flights. Um, in our case, we were doing dual instruction in T6s and offering air combat and aerobatics and things of that sort which was uh you know great for a, a you know a young kid like me and traveling get to see the country and uh, meet all kinds of people have fun flying and you know it creates some war stories that way if you will right and that was a, that was an absolute blast yeah yeah cool so what's your main job right now well i'm still in t6s uh for the last 20 years i've had a t6 flight school down in uh, Kissimmee, uh, which is called warbird adventures and we have three T6s that we operate full-time. We do more T6 checkouts and Warbird checkouts than uh, pretty much anybody else in the world, uh, or maybe even combined to some degree. Nice. So um, we teach people here before that uh, either want to transition to T6s or other Warbirds, and also people that want to come in and uh, just experience one of these things uh, one time, um, whether they're pilots or not, doesn't make any difference. We're getting, so we're still going to put them behind the controls in the front seat. They do the flying and one of us will tag along for the ride. So it's quite an experience for most people. It's a once in a lifetime experience. So, uh, that's what we offer. Um, we're, we're down here all year long. And in addition to that, I also travel a lot and, uh, teach people in their own airplanes, uh, throughout the U S and sometimes abroad. Okay. Um, any, any website or anything you want to plug while you're, while you're at it for that uh, company? Absolutely. It's warbirdadventures.com and, uh, we're also on Facebook as well. So we're easy to find. Fantastic. Cool. Well, you mentioned before the show that, uh, you may not end up at, uh, PDK at, for Warbird weekend. So I think you need to, um, fix whatever's broken and, uh, definitely mm-hmm. end up at PDK for Warbird weekend so that we can Yeah, I'd love to chat. be there. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been doing the engine change for the Dixie Wing Corsair, which is an air, one of the aircraft I fly uh, around the airshow circuit, and uh, it's almost ready. Uh, we're really close. We actually received the last parts in the shipping yesterday, 
but we're still a week or two out before uh, we can do test flights. So we're definitely going to miss PDK with the Corsair, unfortunately. I think we have a uh, substitute Corsair for the show, however. So <clears throat> I don't have a specific reason to come up there this weekend, but you never know. It's uh, it's not that far away, and it, it's uh, it's tempting. All right. Well, uh, if uh, when you do change your mind, I will see you there, and uh, I will be expecting my ride in the Corsair. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be fun. Now, unfortunately, that guy's a single seater. Yeah. It's all, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> just give me the keys. I'll, I'll, I won't be. I'll be gentle. There you go. Well, you could always just bring one of the T sixes up. Yeah. No, that's true. I possibly could. Yeah. Well, last we'll year, see. yeah, last year I remember there was. I don't know, six or seven T6s out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah it, was, that, it was a lot of them. Listen, Tom, Mark and I will chip in 100 bucks each for gas, and uh, we'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That'll get you a couple miles. That'll be enough to cover the turnover. Yeah. 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 That'll for the end it up. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you talked about how you got into the air racing. And uh, one of the first things that I remember uh, as far as, <clears throat> uh, well, when I first um, was introduced, to you was uh uh through reno air racing it was actually through the app you remember brightling had the uh, reno air race app yes and um you know and and there's a community on there i'm sure you you know about that uh one of the guys Mm -hmm. that had talked to you for a while and uh he had he had told me about you and uh and i just remember uh precious metal Mm -hmm. uh the uh contra rotating prop and just absolutely gorgeous gorgeous aircraft um how 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 has all that gone are you still flying precious metal well um that's a bit of a story um about 10 years ago i finally got enough time and money to be able to go air racing and i started in the formula one class the uh the small cassette style racers you know 66 square feet of wing 500 pounds 0200 powered, very, very tiny, uh, but they still do a good 250 or more around the pylons. Um, yeah, so, I, so I attended DRS. I went there as a fact-finding mission, see if it was going to be for me, because obviously I had my eyes set on the unlimited class. Of course. Uh, and and um, it was a great time. It was, I was really impressed by it. So um, on my way home from PRS, I bought an airplane. I stopped in Arizona and picked one up. It was uh, Miss USA, a wonderful little cassette racer, and uh, I got it ready um, for the races in September, and uh, I raced that for a couple of years, and I ended up being sponsored for a second airplane, and we ended up winning, actually, in 2009, um, both the gold and the silver, which was unheard of, apparently. That was, a, that was quite a feat, so after that, we realized that, well, we've done pretty much everything we can in the Formula One class, so we need to do something different. So my sponsor said, well, let's go race jet. I said, well, I've never flown a jet. I barely know what one looks like. So um, <laughs> he, he made me go out and find a TS-11 Iskra, and I learned to fly that. And Actually, I looked at a couple of them. took a while to find one that was suitable. And we introduced that airplane to the jet class in 2010. And that was a great, great fun thing uh, of... Very straightforward flying jets. You know, they're, they're as I always say, jets are for kids. They, um, you know, you turn them on, you go fly, you turn them off, and then that's it. You don't do anything to them, which is just wonderful. So um, it got me some time on the unlimited course because it's the same course as the jet class uses and the, pretty much it's the same speeds. So that was fascinating. And then the following year, we ended up uh, acquiring precious metal. And that has been, uh, uh, to say the least, a hell of a ride. 
Um, <clears throat> so we we fielded precious metal for five years. Uh, we had we had our ups and downs, um, quite a few downs, and <laughs> we we uh, ended up unfortunately here uh, in uh, 2015 um, catching it on fire. Uh, I was taxiing at a fuel stop after fueling up, and apparently something leaked inside the engine compartment. And to this day, we don't know what it was because after we opened it up, it was so burned up you couldn't tell. Um, wow! But we. But we had a high-pressure fuel system in there, so it seeped fuel somewhere, somehow, and was ignited by something, uh, probably the alternator. And uh, the thing uh, simmered for a little over 30 minutes, so it cooked all the internals of the airframe. Oh, wow. And um, So we were unable to show up to Reno that year. It would have been an exciting year, because we finally had figured out our engine, and we were able to produce about 50% more power than we ever had before and keeping it cool. And that's really the biggest struggle in unlimited air racing is keeping the engines cool. Um, so we were really excited. It was going to be a great year for us. Uh, but we had this mechanical on the way that wasn't to be. So we had to uh, show up in Reno and not race. I, actually, I was I was still racing Formula One at uh, that year. And uh, I was going to race two airplanes. I ended up just racing the one. Um, and uh, uh, for um, precious metal has been under restoration ever since. It's going to be a lot longer. It's a massive undertaking, very expensive, very tedious, very difficult. But uh, we're working on it. It's not sitting still at all. It's not collecting dust. It's uh, it's being worked on every day. That's that, that's good because I mean it was precious metal was such a unique aircraft um you know I, I loved seeing precious metal in in the uh in the unlimited class and you know that that contra rotating prop if if i'm not mistaken was the only one uh that that was racing um uh, for the unlimited and mm-hmm. um uh, what is that like to to fly that con uh, contra rotating prop what what is that like what's the purpose of it um you know mm-hmm. what are the benefits as opposed to, you know, just having that single prop? Well, as you said, uh, Precious Metal truly is one of the most iconic racers that has everything to do with that propeller. And oh, what we're talking about is is a contra-rotating installation as opposed to a counter-rotating installation. The counter-rotating is when you have two engines op- in opposite directions, like a P-38 or, or a small twin. Um and contra-rotating is when it's on the same shaft. So you have two propellers rotating in opposite directions. <clears throat> they, uh, they're a little bit different diameter front to back and slightly different blade pitch, which makes up for the induced flow. Um, the advantage of this is um, at, towards the end of the war, the power output of these engines were getting so tremendously huge that uh, it was becoming unmanageable for the pilots especially in carrier operations uh, at slow speed. And they tended to torque roll and stall the airplanes when they hammered the power. And it was it was difficult to take off, et cetera, et cetera. So to manage and harness this, if you um, get rid of the left-turning tendencies by installing a propeller ro- ro- rotates in the opposite direction, it cancels everything out, and the thing flies like a jet. Now, it's still a tail dragger, so below 100 miles an hour, it's still unstable and it wants to ground loop, just like any other tailwheel. But after that, you can almost take your feet off the pedals and fly it. Um, it, it, it flies as straight as, as straight as could be. There's no trim difference with speed like you would have on a, on a normal single screw airplane. Um, it's quite smooth. It's surprisingly smooth. It's stable. Um, it's, 
it's a uh, it really gets your attention every time you start it up to see the propellers rotating up in that directions. I mean, you see it from the stands and it's impressive, but it's really impressive inside the airplane when you crank this thing up. So you're sitting there, wow, this this is just just amazing. Well, so yeah, it's a, uh, the the Griffin is a fantastic engine, very tough, um, m much lower parts count than a Merlin, and and much more stout. So it's a it's a great design. It came later. It was supposed to be a drop-in replacement for the Merlin that produced more power, and that made sense. And uh, they were re-engining aircraft, such as the Spitfire, for example, uh, and they were going in the Griffin direction, even with the P-51. But then, unfortunately, the jets showed up and ruined it for us. The, uh, <laughs> the uh, piston engine development came to a grinding halt, and um, it, it would have been fantastic to see piston engines around for another five years or so. It would have been remarkable what they would have done. If you look at um, the Griffin and engines of that um, uh, uh, caliber from that period, you you see that all the technology um, that they invented back then is stuff you didn't see in cars until the 80s or 90s, um, <clears throat> with the exception of all the electronic stuff, of course. So uh, they were uh, well ahead of their time, and uh, they were on a great track for fantastic development, and unfortunately, it uh, it came to an end. So... That's why we still use 70-year-old power plants, because there is nothing better. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I was watching, uh, there was, a friend of mine put me on a show on Netflix. Um, it was uh, Airplane, Re uh, I think it was either Resurrection or Restoration. Um, anyway, they've got like seven or eight episodes where they're restoring different warbirds. And, and uh, one of the first ones was about a guy that... Um, he wanted a P-51, wanted to restore a P-51, uh, lives over in the UK, and uh, mm -hmm. and couldn't find one and ended up, you know, restoring a Spitfire and <clears throat> ultimately come across an excellent deal on a P-51. And, and uh, I remember the biggest thing he kept talking about was that Merlin engine. And that's mm. really what he wanted to go for, what he wanted to put into his P-51. And, of course, when, when people, from what I've understood, you know, when people think of P-51s, they think of the Merlin. Um, and you said that the Griffin now uh, is what you have in uh, precious metal. Um, is is that Griffin actually becoming more common among the warbirds or? No, um, there there are no warbirds flying today, other than a couple of Spitfires uh, that operate the Griffin, because uh, there, there was no aircraft that were designed for it um, as it came into play so late. Um, the engine that we operate on our P fifty one is off of a Shackleton bomber, uh, maritime patrol bomber. Um, funny enough, that airplane was in service, believe it or not, up through nineteen ninety one, as a Piston V-12 four-engine bomber, maritime bomber, um, in the, uh, the Royal Air Force. And the, the French operated them as well. Oh, Royal Navy, I'm sorry, Royal Navy. Um, so the uh, the Griffin is significantly larger in displacement than the Merlin, 600 cubic inches, or 10 liters, if you will. So it's a 37-liter engine. In stock, it produces 1,000 horsepower more than the Merlin. <clears throat> so it made sense at the time. Um to uh, uh, um, 
to, uh, to start converting all these aircraft. On the racing scene, the Merlin became obsolete after World War II. There was no need for it, no interest, which is why it became available on the civilian market and civilian warbirds. The Griffin really wasn't available until much later because the Shackleton was still in service. So in the air racing's heyday of 70s, 80s, maybe even early 90s, um, the Griffin were a very short supply, very difficult to find. Um, the first airplane uh, that was equipped was the Red Baron. And um, they, by a fluke, ended up with some of these engines, and they were all excited about it and did set the world speed record at the time and so on. So it definitely has potential. But the uh, the Merlin has been developed on the racing side uh, for much longer than the, the Griffin has. And they have that figured out. It works very, very well. And you don't have to do massive airframe modifications to to deal with it. Putting a Griffin into a Mustang is a big deal. It doesn't fit. It uh, doesn't work. Um, so it takes a lot of engineering, a lot of work to, uh, to do that uh, conversion. And now since... We don't chop up warbirds anymore to make them racers. You know, that really hasn't been done since the early 90s. Um, there really aren't any Griffin-powered aircraft, with the exception of Precious Metal is the only one left. So now you can get engines, you can get Griffins, no problem, but there's no airframes available to drop them into because no one is going to dr- chop up a stock airplane and make it a racer anymore. Uh-huh. So, uh, so that's why you don't see a lot of them. The, I think the Griffin has a lot more potential. But it's time and money, right? And who's going oh, to invest absolutely. in it? it? It just doesn't make any sense. So it's just the Merlin just makes the most sense for it all right now? Absolutely. And uh, yeah. that's why they are still winning in Reno. I, I firmly believe that uh, with the right time and effort and money, uh, the Griffin will be would reign superior in Reno. There's no question. But uh, who's going to make that investment? Well, I'll be happy to see Precious Metal get back on the Reno circuit and, uh, and, and humble, humble, <laughs> if you will, Strago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd, <laughs> we'd love to see that. Obviously that's what we're all striving for. It's uh that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And, uh, we, we haven't given up even though we had, we've had our setbacks It uh, uh, I'd love to see it. And we're still working in that direction. Can I guarantee it? Absolutely not. But uh, we're going to try. Yeah, and definitely, uh, uh, you know, and look, if, if you ever need any extra ground support, let me know. I've, I've got 15 years on the ramp with Northwest Airlines, and right. so I've pretty much done anything and everything on the ramp that you can imagine. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys ever need to tag along, if, you know, hell, I'm 6'5 and 200 and too much. If you just need an extra <laughs> tow truck in case one breaks down, I'll come out there and strap on a harness and pull you out there for you. Well, we certainly appreciate support. The uh, it, it's remarkable the the public support that uh, Precious Metal has. Uh, um, what what the appropriate word would be? Um, the it's really a grassroots movement. And a couple of years ago, we came up with the phrase "the people's racer," and it really stuck because uh, we're we're kind of the underdog team. You know, we have no budget; everything is volunteer, and uh, we spend our last red sent to uh, to make this thing fly um unlike most unlimited air races which have some sort of financial backer um you know the owners this is a rich man sport and we have really no business being in it but we're doing it anyway in pure piss and vinegar if you will <laughs> mark have you heard of live flight for infinite flight 
Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before, you know, planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With the new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now back to the podcast. So what would you say, Tom, would be your biggest air racing accomplishment? What are you, what are you really proud of? Well, um, in uh, uh, 20, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2015, uh, we managed to win the Cup in, uh, in Formula One. We raced Africa, Europe, and the U.S. And, uh, and on the cumulative points, we, we won two-thirds of the races. And on the cumulative points, we took the took the cup. So that was the first time in air racing history that there had been a world cup in air racing. And we, we managed to take that. And that was with our little carbon fiber hot stuff, uh, which is a fantastic lit racer. So that's probably the one for the history books so far. Obviously we're, we still have the goal of winning the unlimiteds, but uh, that's, uh, that's probably a few years out yet. Now, speaking of hot stuff, you were, you had an incident uh, in that airplane, correct? I did. I did. Uh, it's not many people can, not a lot. Not a lot of people can say that they got run over by an airplane, but I did. <laughs> yeah, that so, that was uh, that was crazy. I remember seeing the video uh, on Facebook and mm-hmm. unreal. Absolutely. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, it's a spectac- spectacular piece of video. I think it was probably the most viral aviation video of 2015 or 2016. Um, it's quite a surprise. Uh, what happened was I had a, um, a uh, crossover ignition on startup, so the engine wasn't running right, and you can hear it in the video. And I realized after a few seconds after running it up that this isn't going to work. I'm not, I'm not going to get out of the chocks. So um, I shut down, and uh, that is the signal to the flagman to let them know that I'm out of the race. So the, what they do then is they push off to the side of the runway, and they have an alternate sitting behind the field with the engine running, ready to go if somebody breaks down and they wave him on and off you go. But uh, apparently the um, the flagman had a bit of a miscommunication. The flagman on my row, he saw it happen and he put his hands over his head and, and as an X to stop. And um, the main flagman in the front row, excuse me, starts the race, he didn't pick up on that apparently. And he started the race. So since I was on the middle row on that particular start, there was three airplanes behind me. Now, we have a grid. It's called a racehorse start. We have a grid on the runway. We have three on the front, two in the second row, and three on the back. So you're staggered. So technically, uh, if you stay perfectly straight, you should not touch each other if there's an airplane sitting on the runway. Well, that didn't happen. And um, I, uh, 
much to my disbelief, when I opened my canopy, the race started, the guy next to me started rolling. I said, that can't be. But I saw my flagman with his hands over his head next to me and figured, okay, well, at least the last row is stopped. It's not going to be a very good start for this race, but at least uh, nothing's going to happen. But then all of a sudden I saw the airplane starting flying by me. I said, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And um, one passed on the either side of me, and I was waiting for the last guy. I was thinking he's gonna he's gonna be close, but I think he's gonna miss me on the right side. And all of a sudden, bang! It was the uh, fastest teacup ride I've ever been in. I swapped ends. Uh, things went flying everywhere. I knew I'd been hit on my hand because I was holding the canopy open. Um, I didn't see where he went because I, my tail was facing the wrong way, obviously. And um, when it came to a stop, I was just trying to figure out what. Uh, what injuries I had, um, shut everything down, making sure I wasn't catching on fire. And uh, after sitting there for a couple of seconds, getting my wits about me, I realized that uh, I was fine, with the exception of my hand I had taken a really good whack. Um, and then uh, climbed out of the airplane and realized what had happened. Um, it was very, very close to being much, much worse. If he had been a few more feet to the left, I would have minced meat. And uh, had it been a few more feet to the right, he would have missed me. So it's just, you know, it was a bunch of things that came together, just like any other aviation accident. You know, it's always a chain of events. And um, I, I, when I thought about it, wrote about it afterwards, I came up with a list of 20 things that came together for that to happen. Oh, wow. You know, how, had any one of those things not happened, it wouldn't have happened. So it was uh, luck of the draw. Um, I... You know, I really don't have anything to complain about because I didn't really get hurt other than my hand. So I was very pleased about that. The the rest is, you know, everything else can be fixed. So did that make you nervous uh, to get back in the races? Well, it's you know, you think about it, of course, but you you know, it's like anything else. To me, uh, I <clears throat> I accept the risk of crossing the street because I want to go to the other side. And in life, you know, you know how to evaluate the risk and reward thing every, every, in everything you do every day, all the time. So you have to decide, is it worth it to you? And, and the, uh, it's an unequivocal yes, of course it's worth it to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. So it, there is risk in everything. So uh, you just have to, uh, you know, go with the blows. Yeah, and one well. thing I noticed about that video is as soon as, uh, as, soon as your flagman got there, uh, and, and you had asked him, you know, about the signal and yeah, he get, he had given the signal. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it was like the next question you asked is the other pilot. Okay. Before yeah. anything else. And uh, you know, that to me, that says a lot about your integrity and, I uh, that. that, cause that's not something you're expecting anybody to say, but, uh, you know, that was one of your first questions as soon as someone got to your aircraft. Yeah. So well, that was, it, it, that was cool. It, yeah, I mean, there were two things on my mind um, after I realized that I was physically able to crawl out of the cockpit myself, which obviously, you know, priorities, you have to make sure that you're not in for any further damage, you know, if I was on fire or something. Um, the uh, If I had caused the accident, I would have been extremely embarrassed and I would have had endless anxiety about it. Um, and even worse, if I'd cause somebody else to get hurt that would have been you know many times on top of that so those were my primary concerns i you know if uh, i was very very concerned that i'd done something wrong uh that i'd hurt somebody and it turned out that neither one of those were true so i just had to know right away 
um, that nobody had gotten hurt. And uh, so that was a big relief when I found out that no, actually he came running up to my airplane. So um, after the fireman said he was fine, so he was obviously in good shape, which was great. It was really good news. The, the rest is just nuts and bolts. Everything can be fixed. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, some of the restorations I've seen uh, with with planes that you're just like, yeah, you know, man, this is going to be such a huge undertaking, and then you know, several years later, you see that thing roll out of the hangar and you're like, how in the hell did they do that? So yeah, it's yeah. like anything can be restored. Absolutely. Now, um, hot stuff is a one of a kind carbon fiber prototype. Uh, it's a very, very expensive airframe. And, um, the insurance, unfortunately, uh, his insurance is not going to cover me because it was during a race event. So we don't have any financial means of fixing the airplane and uh because of what it is it's such a uh, um, advanced construction it's above my pay grade um so i can't do it myself so i have to hire someone and uh, that's out of the budget so um hot stuff is unfortunately going to be sitting for a while she's exactly in the same shape she was the day after the accident wow wow well hopefully uh hopefully we'll we'll get you back up in the uh in the racing here soon uh definitely definitely gonna oh, i'm sure back. we will it something will will pan out at some point it's just going to take some time uh, you know we've uh, we've been through uh things before and uh, it, uh it's just a matter of persistence isn't it yeah and and you know what in the meantime you know i guess you're just stuck having to fly the warbirds uh, <laughs> yeah is, you know which is not de- definitely not a bad gig at all, and um, you know the P forty is such an amazing, amazing aircraft, Jackie C, and mm-hmm. um, and of course the Corsair being one of my favorites, as you know, and um, can't wait to get see that one up and running. So definitely got to make a trip down to Kissimmee before too long. My son, uh, Jason, knows this. Um, you know, with me being Skyhawk heavy, of course, I named my son Wake Turbulence, and uh, he's. You know, he, he, he loves aviation like I do. He's got, you know, but he is, he's 12. So his passion isn't as significant yet, but it's getting there. But when it comes to warbirds and the P 51 is his favorite warbird, uh, it's amazing. I can take him to any museum. Um, and, uh, we go to the Naval, uh, the Naval aviation, uh, museum in Pensacola, probably a couple times a year. It's only, you know, 45 minutes from the house. And, uh, we'll go out there and for a 12 year old to sit there and say, you know, he'll name each and every aircraft, uh, what they did in the war and what year, uh, that they started flying is amazing to me. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's why we're in this. I, mean, I have a small air museum down here, which is open to the public, of course. Um, and, uh, the type of aircraft, they vary. Uh, but I'm here to educate and, and uh, ignite that spark for someone in aviation. And we, you know, we do it, of course, through flying and taking people up, but also through the displays that we have. And uh, it changes. You know, uh, this winter we had the P-40 and the Corsair for the winter, which was great. Uh, we'll have different aircraft coming this coming winter. Um, uh, and oh, I should mention by the way that the uh, the P-40 belongs to the American Air Power Museum up in Long Island. And it's sponsored by Cockpit USA. I fly for them, and uh, we um, had a tour down here this last winter with uh, a few air shows. We did the winter maintenance down here on the P-40. But it's back up in New York now. We had it at uh, Reading Air Show last weekend and Jones Beach before that. And um, um, the uh, the Corsair belongs to Dixie Wing in Atlanta. 
um, and it'll go back up there as soon as uh, the engine installation is done. And uh, then we then we'll have a, a series of airplanes coming here next winter for maintenance. So it uh, it's always fascinating. And, and um, yeah, igniting that little spark in in, uh, in kids is is uh, is a fascinating thing to see. And uh, we get kids from all over the world showing up in here, and some of them, as you said, they're just like dictionaries on airplanes, and they just spout off anything and everything, all the specs and data and, and dates and people, and it's uh, it's fantastic to see that uh, people are still interested in this in this kind of stuff because, you know, World War II history specifically is what we're into. Um, it's really not taught in school very well anymore, and uh, obviously they do it on their own free time. So it's it's fascinating to see. And, it's also very exciting to, uh, you know, get a postcard six months after you fly with somebody and lately letting you know that they just got their private pilot's license and things of that sort. So the feedback is, is just great. And yeah, and that's awesome, man. You know, and that's why I was telling you the other day, you know, I really need to come down to Kissimmee. I'd, I'd love to get my son uh, a ride in the T6. Um, of course I've got to do it. Um, that just goes mm-hmm. saying, but, um, of course, you know, a few friends of mine who are, are tailwheel pilots, you know, they, they tell me all the time, you know, Mark, you fly, you know, the nose gear is a, a training wheel. So you're not really a pilot unless you fly tailwheel. So, um, I got, I, one of my goals, uh, is I definitely want to get, um, my tailwheel endorsement, but, uh, a T6 would definitely be a dream. And I, I know my son would absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely. Now we do that too. We have we actually have a little Citabria here in the in the hangar also that we offer tailwheel endorsement specifically in, and primary training for anybody that wants to learn to fly in a tail dragger from scratch. We can do that. And uh, you know the 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 joke is you know tri- tricycles are great. Personally, I got off got off of them when I was three, but you know you, you teach their own. <laughs> so it continues. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> I, I've got to get my tailwheel so I can yeah, be considered a real pilot. Yeah, you'll love that. But what you should do is you and your son come down and and uh, fly the T6s together. And and um, as I mentioned, what we offer here is not a ride. Uh, what we offer is dual instruction. So we're going to have you do as much as possible, including the formation flying and the aerobatics on the very first flight right off the bat and teach you how it's done. And then when we're done, uh, we'll sign your logbook off as dual given. And then uh, for your son, that'll apply towards his private pilot's license. So oh, hell um, yeah. it's a little different than the right operation. So we actually don't use the word right at all in our, in our uh, operation. It's uh, taboo as far as I'm concerned, because that's not what we do. It's instruction. Yeah, absolutely. You said you got three T sixes down there. Yeah. And uh, that's what we operate full time. Um, we have for a long time and, uh, that, uh, it's good. That way we can always provide formation flights on a daily basis. Now, how, how much room is in the car? Now, see, I'm six, five, 200 and too much, which, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm mm-hmm. a big guy. So, um, you know, how much, how much room is actually in that thing? The T six is quite roomy. The tallest person I've ever seen in a T six was seven feet. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, the pedals come forward, the seat comes down. Um, uh, the parachute is technically limited 254 pounds. So that's our limit as far as aerobatics are concerned, but the seat can handle uh, larger individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, my, <laughs> the only aerobatics that I've done were in a Stearman, uh, mm-hmm. years ago when I was, Big difference. In, yeah, I was, uh, I was a lot smaller at the time, of course, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, you know, when, <clears throat> well, 
It the was. Stearman, Stearman is a great airplane, but it's got doesn't have much in the way of vertical penetration. So the the maneuvers of the T6 is much larger, and they they last a lot longer. Um, you actually have some speed and performance to them, and the roll rate is much higher. The Stearman is known for its low low, low roll rate, whereas the T6 gets around pretty good. Yeah, um, was, when you're inverted in an open cockpit, mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, that's a that's a funny thing being inverted in an open cockpit because people feel much safer inside a uh, bubble canopy as well. What, what's the glass going to do for you? Like that's going to hold you in. I mean, it's an eighth, eighth of an inch of plexiglass. So no, that uh, it's one of those funny funny things that brain the, the tricks that brain plays on you. But the T six is much lighter on the controls, much more responsive. You, you'll you'll find it absolutely delightful. Yeah, I'm, that, that's definitely something that we have to do for sure. Um, so, Tom, you know, you talked about the American Air Power Museum um, and flying Jackie C uh, for them. How, how often do you actually fly uh, with the uh, AAM? Well, uh, this year I've been I've, I've done quite a bit. We've, uh, I think, uh, in the last 12 months, it's probably been eight or 10 shows or so. Um, this year uh, um, I've done four so far, five, five so far. And uh, we got a few more lined up this summer, and then uh, obviously it's busier in the fall. In the middle of the summer, there's a bit of a lull usually. Usually, um, so I I flew um, their Corsair and uh, and Jackie C as well as a T6 is for them. Um, the heavy stuff I haven't gotten into. Um, I've uh, managed to stay busy enough on the on the single engine side, but I may do that at some point also because I do that sometimes. Um, great group of guys up there, a lot of fun, a great exhibit. Um, um, the old Republic hangar is really impressive in, in and of itself because that's where they actually hung the guns on the P-47s for testing and uh, back in the day. It's a fascinating place and uh, well worth a visit in Farmingdale, New York, and Long Island. Yep, definitely. Uh, we need to send Laura over there, uh, Jason, to, uh, to check out uh, that museum for sure. Definitely. Check them out. Yeah. Um, now, you primarily fly the forty or the uh, Corsair. Yeah, yeah. The, those are the two I fly the most. I fly some Mustangs here and there also. Uh, um, actually, I had a personal first here this last week at Reading Air Show in Pennsylvania. I flew um, a P forty, the Corsair, and a Mustang uh, throughout the days of the show, which was. Uh, remarkable it was three fighters in one weekend it's just uh <laughs> great great time wow and now what are some of your greatest experiences with them now and and this is something that we could edit out um if we need to uh jay just giving you a heads up on that but uh, i believe it was uh last year uh y'all were doing a formation flight and uh someone uh Someone in that formation lost their life uh, due to the uh, something wrong with the aircraft. Yeah, it was some, uh, we were doing a photo mission um, over uh, uh, New York City in anticipation of the Jones Beach Air Show, and uh, I was flying formation with the P forty seven, and he had an issue, um, broke formation. I followed him down. We talked about what we were going to do and what we could deal, how we could deal with the problem. There wasn't much time, however, and uh, the uh, engine ceased, and he uh, ended up ditching in Hudson River. Uh, and it did a beautiful job. Everything was great. Uh, unfortunately, he did not make it out of the airplane. 
And uh, to this day, it's a mystery as to why that happened. Um, we don't know why. Um, there's no no evidence of anything, so we 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 have no clue why he didn't get out. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, condolences for that, man. And, and mm-hmm. sorry to hear that because uh, y'all were good friends, from what I'm understanding. And um, you know, yeah, and of course, you was, hate to hear that, but anybody. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Gordon was his name. A, a great guy, well known around the airshow circuit. It's been in uh, antiques and aerobatics and warbirds for many, many years. Very experienced, exceptional pilot. And he did everything right after the uh, emergency introduced itself. And like I said, we discussed it on the way down, and I gave the input that I could. Um, he, he had asked for a vector, but I told him he had to go in the Hudson, and that was a decision we made together. And um, um, he put it in exactly the way it should have. The thing decelerated properly on the surface and then sunk. Um, and that was the end of it, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely sorry to hear that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, what What are some, some of the uh, most memorable experiences um, with the AAM? <clears throat> well, um, some year, five years ago, I think it was when I finally checked out in the P-40. Uh, I'd been looking forward to that for a long time. I'd already flown Mustangs, of course, but um, the P-40 just fit. It, it was almost like uh, all the training and flying I'd done over the years led me up to that particular airplane, and and uh, it's turned out to be my absolute favorite. I've um, I maintain to this day that if I have to be stuck in one airplane the rest of my days, it's going to be the P-40. Um, well, that would be my my choice at least. Um, it's just a lovely machine, and and uh, uh, just uh, it just just works. And uh, having the privilege of doing aerobatic air shows across the country and in that machine is just tremendous. Um, below ten thousand feet and below two hundred fifty miles an hour, the uh, the P forty will outperform just about anything. So it's a spunky little airplane, and and that's really the key because it's lighter than pretty much anything else out there. So it's um, it's um, it's a fantastic aerobatic airplane for for airshow purposes. Um, granted, if I was off to go go off to war, World War II style, I wouldn't want to be in the P forty. I'd rather be in a P forty seven or a P fifty one. But that's not what we're we do these there. days. We're yeah, yeah, there. perhaps. Yeah, it depends on what you want to do. <laughs> uh, they're all different. You know, they're apples and oranges. You really can't compare them uh, because they are all very mission specific aircraft. You know, the the uh, Spitfire, for example, is a uh, interceptor. The P-40 was a air superiority fighter. The P-51 was an escort fighter. Very different uh, missions and different requirements. And uh, they really didn't, uh, no aircraft can handle all of those roles uh, better than any other. So everything is a compromise. And um, So these days, when we operate in the air show circuit, uh, hands down, I want to be in the P-40. So that's where I'm going to try to spend most of my time if I can. And the, the Corsair is a close second. I love that airplane. Yeah, and I, I, I don't – I guess my biggest thing with the Corsair is that, you know, I grew up watching Baba Black Sheep, which is how mm-hmm. I got introduced to the Corsair. And, you know, ever since then, it's, it's just stuck. And, of course, the Gullwing design, I absolutely love – and of course you have that massive 14 foot prop, uh, the long nose for that engine. And I don't know, it's just something about, about the Corsair that is just majestic to me. They, they uh, really are. It's, I, I call it five tons of fun, <laughs> which makes sense. Um, never flown in one. Uh, hopefully one day I'll have the opportunity, but, uh, 
Uh, we'll yeah, see. They're, yeah, they're, 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 there's nothing like them. It, um, it's, um, you sit so high in the Corsair, it almost feels like you're sitting on, on a saddle on top of the airplane looking down on it. And uh, you're, you're riding this thing a bit like, uh, um, what's his name that rode the atom bomb down? Um, in uh, Dr. Strange Glove. Uh, uh, oh, um, I was going to say the Coyote. And, uh, yeah. Looney Tunes, oh, yeah. So. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Very good comparison. Anyway, so with that and uh, the fantastic design of the landing gear, you know, you can't feel when you land that airplane. It, it is so soft and so easy. It's, uh, it's like landing on, on cotton. It's, uh, it's just remarkable how well they designed it. You really can't feel it. And Sounds um, like my landings in the sky. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> and um, so it, it's surprising when you have such a big and heavy airplane that approaches and lands so smoothly and lands so short because how heavy it is. It's uh, it's surprising. It's a it's a remarkable performer. Uh, how you get uh, ten thousand pounds climbing at that rate is uh, it's uh, it's a design feat for sure. So well, yeah, fun airplane. What fifty and degrees it, of flaps or forty? Forty. Yeah, it'll go to sixty. Sixty. Um, I think. Wow. It, I think it's no. I'm sorry. You know, you're right. Fifty. Fifty degrees of flaps. Um, but normally you use about 30 for most landings, but you, you can do 50. It's not a, not a problem, not a big deal. It three points beautifully and uh, lands much shorter than you would expect it to. Um, it's also, um, it has servo tabs on all the controls. So the controls are boosted aerodynamically. So the controls are very, very light on all in, in every axis. So it's a lot, lot of fun to maneuver. It doesn't have a very high roll, right? It rolls quite slowly, actually. Uh, if, it, if there was a drawback to the Corsair, that would be the one, I guess. Okay. Well, and then, you know, really, uh, just one last question, and I know that you've mm-hmm. got uh, got a busy day, and um, but, you know, one last question is, uh, you know, how many other times have you been requested to do a low pass day or night to scare gators off the runway? <laughs> Only once that I remember. It was, <laughs> it, it, was actually, it was actually a saltwater crocodile, they told me. That was down in Marco Island 20-some years ago. Uh, it's coming in after night with a warbird and, and um, after after dark, and uh, they told me they needed me to do a flyby. I said, okay, you know, uh, when you somebody requests you, you know, you want to comply. And so I did, and uh, they came around and landed, and, and I asked them, you know, I – why do you want to fly by? It was dark. I mean, you can re- barely see me. Oh, no, no. We didn't want to watch you. We just wanted you to stare, scare the, the crocodile off the runway so you could land. <laughs> so, so that was interesting. Apparently, they like to uh, lay there in, uh, in, on the warm runway after dark and, and soak up the heat. And they, they, They're not afraid of airplanes, apparently. Uh, yeah, especially down in Florida where yeah. both crocodiles and aircraft are abundant. So. Yeah, yeah. So, Tom, what what uh, now is your chance to plug uh, any other websites or events or uh, Instagram accounts? What what would you like to uh, tell our listeners today? Well, um, I want to thank the American Air Power Museum for providing uh, the opportunity to fly uh, the Jackie C and various other aircraft, of course, up in Long Island. You should definitely go see them. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, our uh, sponsor is Cockpit USA. The uh, they're the people that uh, make the finest leather jackets in the country, of course, and uh, that's uh, uh, that's what you'll see me sporting at the air shows. Um, again, come down and see me here in, uh, in Kissimmee, Warbird Adventures. We'll be happy to uh, take you flying and come see the little air museum here, Kissimmee Air Museum. And uh, we're easily accessible on Facebook, Instagram, etc. So we're easy to get a hold of, and come on down. We'll turn upside down and make some noise. Nice. 
Very cool. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Um, have to check out the flight jackets, Jay. You being in Canada, I know that y'all stay cold 360 days a year. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Tom, yeah. thank you, man, for uh, for taking the time to uh, join us today. Oh, um, you're welcome. I know you're busy, and My pleasure. Um, definitely appreciate uh, you being here with us. Absolutely glad to do it. Good luck with the show, and uh, who knows, maybe I'll see you at PDK. Hope so. Sounds definitely good. hope so. We're going to do a live broadcast from there uh, as well. Um, I'm working with uh, with the CAF to get something lined up. Um, Jay, just so you know, the Dixie wing that he was talking about that the Corsair belongs to is the same wing that is actually uh, doing the uh, Warbird weekend at PDK. Awesome. So, and, and they're gonna they're gonna have the uh, the new restoration of the P sixty three they're flying, which is uh, a remarkable airplane. I got to fly formation with it this weekend. Uh, Mark Todd was at the controls. Um, they'll also have their red nosed Mustang there, and um, the uh, the the SPD, which is a highly unusual airplane. I think there's only two of those flying. So uh, those are the in-house aircraft that were really fascinating, and then they're going to have all kinds of guests. So it should be a good weekend, and uh, highly recommend going. Cool. Maybe we can reach out to you to uh, get access to a couple of those pilots for a chat while we're there. Absolutely. No problem at all. Beautiful. Well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure all the way. Thank you, gentlemen. Everyone, that's our show, and a big thanks to Tom Richard for joining us today. Thanks for listening, and be sure to download Infinite Flight from the App Store or Google Play. For more of the podcast, please visit flightcast.audio, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on social media at Flightcast Audio. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. And to cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening, and happy landings. (laughs) 